The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what, may, for what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to the children's church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign. If this is your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so we can get them checked in. Thank you, Molly. If this is your first time, again, my name is Jared, and I'll be just outside those doors after we're finished here this morning. And um, I would love to personally meet you. We love to know our people here. And a welcome to you that are joining us online as well. It's an interesting passage that we have ahead of us because last week we just had the turn in all of Mark. Essentially, Jesus has been trying to get his disciples to decide who it is that they think he is. Who it is, you know, some people think he's John the Baptist, some people think he's Elijah, uh, some people think he's one of the prophets, and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And finally, Peter speaks up and says, you're the Christ. And Peter's right and he's wrong. He's right in the sense that that is his title and he is the coming king, but he's wrong in the sense that he's not the kind of king Peter thinks he's going to be. Peter thinks he's going to be this king like David who comes in and, and wins through uh, military and through government and through battle. And so Peter thinks you're the Christ like David was the Christ. And Jesus says, yes, I'm the Christ, but I win through losing. And Peter actually pulls Jesus aside and says, don't talk like that, man. We've got something good going here. We're going to win. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then just so that no one misses the point, Jesus gathers everybody together. He, not just the disciples. He brings the disciples back to the crowd. And he says, make sure you hear me. This is the kind of kingdom that we're going to have. And that's where we pick up this morning. So would you pray with me and ask God to bless our study of his word this morning? Lord, would you have... Mercy on me, a sinner. You've been so kind to us. This baby church plant. And in a very short time, God, you've blessed us. I pray that your spirit would be powerfully at work here this morning. That for those who don't even know why they're here, that you would encourage them and comfort them. That you would give them new life. Father, for those of us who are discouraged or limping, we ask that you would fill us with hope, that you haven't for one second forgotten us. Father, for those of us who need life, 
for the first time, we ask that you would move powerfully. We need you. Would you move this morning by your Holy Spirit powerfully? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Some of you may watch the show Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec is hilarious. And one of the great uh, themes and one of the great scenes that kind of comes back and forth uh, throughout the show is uh, Tom and Donna. And Tom and Donna are famous for saying what? Treat yourself. Thank you. You guys really do watch that show. (laughs) Once a year, Donna and I spend a day treating ourselves. And what do we treat ourselves to? Clothes. Treat yourself. Fragrances. Treat yourself. Massages. Treat yourself. Mimosas. Treat yourself. Fine leather goods. Treat yourself. (laughs) It's the best day of the year. The best day of the year. You see, we're good at being kind to ourselves, to making much of ourselves. Or how about this? When the iPhone 10 came out, it's this commercial with all these young, attractive faces, and in the background, do you remember whose voice it was? It was old footage of Muhammad Ali. These pretty faces showing on the screen, and you hear, I am the greatest. I am going to become champion of the universe. Me with my beautiful, colorful personality. I'm good looking, clean living, cultured, and I am modest. (laughs) I am so modest that I can admit my own fault. And my own only fault is I don't realize how great I really am. Because I am great, I am the greatest. And we can smirk at Tom and Donna, we can smirk at Muhammad Ali. But each one of us wants to be great. Each one of us wants to make much of ourselves, to care for self. And in Jesus' kingdom, he does not promote selfies. He promotes the cross. Not only that he is going to take the cross, but he has the cross for us. In each one of our hearts, there's a side of us which says, avoid the cross, avoid the cross. And Jesus says, I've come for the cross, and those that follow me will take the cross as well. Well, Let's look first at the call to follow Jesus and die to self. Verse 34, the call to follow Jesus and die to self. It says this, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you want to do what Jesus is doing, if you want to be about the business that Jesus is in, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. This flies right in the face of what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, we have an opportunity here, Jesus, to make much of ourselves. We have an opportunity to win. And Jesus says, let's make ourselves small and let's lose for the sake of others. What we're called to do is self-denial. Self-denial. Do you remember back in Matthew 4? The devil is trying to get Jesus to trip up. He's trying to get Jesus to sin, and he takes him out to the middle of nowhere, and he says he takes him to a very high mountain, and he, the devil, this is the devil showing Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. 
in all their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It's such a fasc- fascinating passage. I've always been confused by it because it seems like the devil is taking Jesus off and offering something that Jesus already has. He's saying you can have all the kingdoms of this world. But what the devil is doing there is he's saying, in fact, I'll give you these king, I'll give you all of these kingdoms and all of this glory, and I'll give it to you without a cross. All of this stuff is yours, and, and, I'll, and you don't even have to have a cross. And Jesus shoes him away. And Jesus tells Peter the kind of king that he's coming, that he's come to be is that he's going to be a king that suffers and is rejected and dies and raises from the dead. And Peter says, no, 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 no. We can have a kingdom without a cross. We can have a kingdom without suffering. And Jesus says the same thing, be gone. And we want to avoid our cross too. It would be really nice if we could gather up Christians and those that don't agree and say, here's the best part about Christianity is every single thing about your life is going to get so much better. It's going to get so much easier. Everything's going to make so much sense. And if I told you that, I'd be lying to you. And you know it. Instead, when we, I gather you up and call you to follow Jesus, I say things are going to be hard and confusing and not make sense, and it won't always add up. Would you come and join me? It doesn't sell. That's why so much of the world is totally comfortable to have a crossless life or a Christianity without a cross. It's because people aren't interested in that. People aren't interested in a Christianity that has a cross. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, that they think that the kingdom comes in power and majesty and glory, and instead Jesus comes, nobody knows where he's from. This tiny town, can anything good come from Nazareth? And the important people don't like him. And in fact, they don't like him so much that they kill him. And in fact, when they kill him, all of his friends have disappeared into the night, and he dies alone. And that's the hero? That's the hero of the story. You see, we want it to come in power and majesty and glory. We want a a church and a kingdom that's growing and powerful and and has influence. But he calls us to come and die. One of my mentors said it this way. It's a long quote. I know it's hard to be read to, but hang in there with me. It's a good quote. Walking. Keep in step. This turns out to be one of the most challenging aspects of the Christian life. The simple repetitiveness of it. Left, right, left, right, again, over and over, all the way, every day, like a long walk uphill to the very end. We might prefer to fly. We may wonder if there are any shortcuts, and there are some. There are some shortcuts to the Christian life. But once you find out what they are, humiliation and suffering, you'll probably prefer to walk. That's what he's saying. He's calling you to a long walk that sometimes has humiliation and suffering. And that's hard news. I'm telling you, that doesn't sell like you'd like it to. 
But have you ever been near somebody who has been humiliated and suffered and walked the long road of following Jesus? I'll tell you, they're the kind of people you want to be around. They're the kind of people that change everything. They're the kind of people that listen attentively and love you without advice. They're the kind of people who give their lives away. They're the kind of people who speak with wisdom and compassion. Have you ever been near somebody that walks and suffers for Christ? Aaron found this week that Mother Teresa, one of the things that people don't know about her is that her feet were so marred that she could barely walk on them by the end. Because when they would come and take all of the donated shoes from all of the different churches and they would lay them out before the children and the other volunteers, that she would wait until the very end and pick the worst shoes that no one else would want and she would wear those unless someone else needed it and then she would go barefoot. A life like that, that gives of themselves for the sake of others, is a beautiful life. But make no mistake, it's not an easy one. It's not an easy one. Sinclair Ferguson points out the fact that Peter had a hard time with this. Do you remember that? When Jesus is asking him questions and Peter says, we've left everything to follow you, man. Will there be nothing left for us? He has this sense that We've given up a lot, and it doesn't seem like there's much good waiting for us. Yes, to follow Jesus is to follow in suffering and self-denial. Peter, who at one point says, will there be nothing left for us? Will later in his life and ministry say, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Peter, who says, Jesus, don't you dare go to the cross And then by the end of Peter's life says, okay, put me on the cross, but put me upside down because I don't deserve to die like my Savior died. Do you see a life transformed? That suffering is actually what will will transform your life. And I know you felt that too. Jesus, I've left everything to follow you and now you let my wife get a disease? I've left everything to follow you and now I get fired at work? Jesus, I've left everything to follow you and now you let my kids hurt? It raises this question deep in our soul is will the transaction be worth it? Will coming and dying actually be fair by the end? And we'll get to that in just a minute. When I was installed as a pastor years ago, the pastor preached from this passage. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Listen to this. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Listen so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. My installation service was called Come and Die. That's what pastoral ministry is. Come and you make your life hard so that others can experience life. And really that is the motto of a Christian. You have to go and die so that others your spouse, your kids, the people at work, the people at CrossFit, the people at the Y, the people that you hang out with, your neighbors, you'll have to die 
so that they can live. What are the things that you are trying to make much of, trying to treat yourself? Do you really think it's going to pay? You know that feeling of no matter what thing you finally got, the trip you finally got to go on, the number in your bank account you were trying to, finally trying to get to, the way that you look, you finally got to the way that you look, and you know you wake up the next morning and you think, more. I need more. We just can't seem to get enough of treating ourselves. And what we do is we make our lives really small. We make our lives about careers and money and reputations. Those things seem so important, but we realize it's, it's really small. That's it. 70, 80, 90 years, that's it. Just make as much money as I can, make as few mistakes as I can, try and be good, and that's it, and I'm dead. And everything seems really small. My son Knox has become quite a slugger in baseball. When he was nine, he, uh, they allowed the coaches and the assistant coaches to stand in the field with the players because they're still figuring it out. And so I was an assistant coach, so I got to stand with Knox in the outfield and kind of talking about the game as we're watching it. Well, in Little League, essentially, when the players get the ball into the infield, everything's supposed to stop. Because they don't want the players, you know, they're little kids, they're still learning to catch. They don't want them to pick up the ball and throw it to third and it goes over third and then they go and get it and they pick it up and throw it to the pitcher and then it goes over the pitcher's head and it's not really baseball. And so they're like, as soon as the ball gets to the middle, into the infield, everything's supposed to stop. Except this day, the coach, the third base coach on the other side was cheating. Cheating. And so even though when the ball was in the infield, he'd keep sending those kids. This is what it sounded like the first time it came out of my mouth. Hey, uh, there, coach, 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 would you mind grabbing that kid and bringing him back to third base? He's actually not supposed to score. The ball is in the infield. And he kept doing it. So the second time it sounded more like this. Hey, hey, coach, coach, don't know. Don't know if you don't know the rules. That kid's not supposed to leave third if the ball's in the infield. It's a rule. Mr. Umpire, you want to get involved here? That was the second time. The third time it was like, hey, man, knock that off. Stop that. My nine-year-old son says, Dad, calm down. <laughs> Here I am on a little league baseball field, verbally assaulting a teenage referee, sorry, a teenage umpire, and a dad from the other team. The things that we get ourselves to care about are just so small. Have you ever felt that way? I know that's a ridiculous example, but have you ever, have you ever, what are the things in your life that if anyone was really watching, they'd be like, calm down, it's just money. Or calm down, it's just your reputation. Calm down, calm down, it's just your appearance. It's not gonna last forever, calm down. But we end up making much of ourselves and much of these things we would rather live to self and we find ourselves in these ridiculous scenarios where we've built something up, we've gone all in on it, and then sadly we realize it can't hold us. That we weren't supposed to live for something so small. We were supposed to live for something more. We're supposed to deny self so that others can thrive. We live small so others can live big. We give up so that others can gain. 
Alistair Begg is one of my favorite preachers to listen to. In him reflecting on this passage, he said this, Why do you think the song, Billy Joel, My Life, made it so big? Here's the lines. I don't need you to worry for me because I'm all right. I don't, want, I don't want you to tell me it's time to come home. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. Let's just treat yourself. That we'll find as much life as tacking on as much things and much opportunities we had to make things big for us. And instead, Jesus says, make yourself small for the sake of others. Friends, if you're following Jesus, people watching your life should be confused. Really, if you're following Jesus, Christianity shouldn't make any sense to the people who are watching you. They're like, why do you do that to yourselves on Sunday morning? Don't you know that there's Premier League soccer on every Sunday morning? Have you not heard about brunch? You can go to restaurants and you can drink champagne and it's okay in the middle of the day. Haven't you heard the Masters is on Sunday morning? Why would you give up your Sunday mornings? Or why would you serve at a church? Are they paying you? When you go and volunteer there, are you like getting hours or something like that? Why would you give your money to a place? Why would you sacrificially take your hard-earned money that you can go and use on self and treat yourself? And why would you give it to an institution? Why would you do that? The question for us is, if you're following Jesus... What is harder about your life because you're denying yourself and picking up your cross and following Him? How are the people in your life a little confused on how you spend your free time and your talents and your resources? One of the ways that this is most clear to me in the past seven months is that I have had an army of volunteers working to raise money to meet to negotiate, to serve on committees and teams, men and women who have worn themselves out, and I'm the only one of them who gets a paycheck for it. I get to sign on the dotted line on Thursday that we now own this facility, but the army of people, all of which who met late into the night trying to figure out how in the world could we possibly do that, and all of them were volunteers, giving their life away, them dying, so that others in this city might live. Kent Hughes says it this way, we need to ask ourselves if we have any difficulties because we are following close after Christ. We need to ask ourselves if we have any difficulties because we are following close after Christ. The late Billy Graham said it this way, when Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you'll have to take up a cross, it was the same as saying, Come and bring your electric chair with you. Take up the gas chamber and follow me. He did not have a beautiful gold cross in mind, the cross on a church steeple or on the front of your Bible. Jesus had in mind a place of execution. Listen to this. This is Paul embodying, denying himself, taking up his cross. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became 
like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Paul is saying, I will give up every right and every privilege that I have. I will choose the harder path for the sake of others. And that's what we're supposed to be like. Listen to Ann Voskamp's glorious words here. Die to pride, die to self, die to agendas, die to comfort, die to ease, and your life explodes with abundant life. Unexpectedly, the secret to abundance is not about self, but about dying to self. For the holy sake of our blessed sanity, we've got to go lose ourselves so that we can find ourselves breaking and then blazing. Breaking and then blazing. What she's saying powerfully there is that you were actually meant to die, to lose, to break for the sake of others. When Jesus says it is better to give than to receive, when he says, take up your cross daily and follow me, what he's saying is the harder way, the cross way, is actually how you were meant to live. And the glory of it is that not only, not only are others blessed that are around you and near you and watching you, but that you actually find life in doing it. That things are different for you instead of treating yourself or yelling at teenage referees, that your life is about something more something to hold on to, something with grit, something that lasts longer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way, the cross is laid on every Christian. We give over our lives to death. And he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Jesus is about to lay down his life for these people. And he says, you want to follow me? You're going to lay down your life as well. But why would anyone do it? Yes, it's what Jesus did, and yes, it's going to bless others. But what if, what if it ends up doing what Jesus did and it blesses others? But what if we lose in the exchange? What if we end up at a deficit? What if what we've given up doesn't make sense for what we got back? Is that, isn't that a scary question? Listen to 35 through 37. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What he's saying is, you will never regret giving up yourself and dying like Christ. You'll never regret it. He's saying what you will get for it is so much better than all that you've lost because of it. One of my all-time favorite hymns is Be Still My Soul. And there are some of you who have given up so much that sometimes you wonder in the quiet, will it ever really be okay? Will what I have given up ever come back in some sort of positive way. And it reminds me of this song, Be Still My Soul. 
The words say this, Be still, my soul, when dearest friends depart, and all is darkened in the veil of tears. Then you will better know his love and his heart who comes to soothe your sorrows and fears. Please hear this, friends. Be still, my soul, your Jesus can repay. From his own fullness, all he takes away. Your Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away. That means when you're standing in glory on that great day and we are celebrating and we're singing with Hans and Franz, my God is so big and so strong and so mighty. I actually don't know if Hans and Franz will be there, but you get the point. When we're there in that great day, when we're there, you will not be wondering about what it cost you to get there. You will not be wondering about what it cost you to get there. The Bible says this, No eye has seen nor mind has conceived the things that God has planned for those who love him. That means you can't even fantasize good enough to think about how heaven's going to be. When Hans and Franz were here getting ready for this morning, they're getting ready. And obviously Hans and Franz don't enjoy getting up in front of 300 people and dancing. But they did it because they love kids and they love this church. And so I'm coaching them right before they come up here. And I'm like, you got to go 10 out of 10, big smiles. You got to go all out. And they're like, a little feeling a little sheepish about it. And I was like, you guys don't understand. My little boys standing up here and dancing with cool guys and the lights going and singing praises to God, that's as close to heaven as they can possibly imagine. And Hans said, if that's what heaven's like, I'm not going. <laughs> but the point is, whatever you think of heaven, it's going to be so much better than you consider it to be. So much better than can you consider it to be. All that you've lost from Jesus, he can repay from his own fullness all that he takes away. From his own fullness, all that he takes away. That's the weird thing about Christianity. If you want to be strong, you've got to become weak. If you want to live, you've got to die. If you want to be the first, you've got to go last. Excuse me. If you want to be first, you've got to go last. You want to be the greatest, you've got to become the least. You want to go up, you've got to go down. You want to gain, then you have to lose. That's what Peter doesn't get. He wants Jesus to come and make much of himself. And Jesus comes and gives up everything. Makes himself nothing, the Bible says, so that others can live. This is Tim, Cull Tim Keller quoting C.S. Lewis. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death the death of your whole body, and in the, in the end, submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Listen to this. Keep nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. He's comparing self, treat yourself, and following Jesus. Listen. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred and loneliness and despair and rage and ruin and decay. But look for Christ. And you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in as well. 
What about these scary words at the end? Verse 38. And whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. I know that could keep you up at night. There are times that I have been ashamed to follow Jesus. There are times you've been ashamed to follow Jesus. There's no question about it. But he's not talking about those punctuated moments of feeling embarrassed. He's talking about a life trajectory of religious people saying, no thanks, not for me. I don't want to follow Jesus and believe who he says he is, and I certainly don't want to die for it. And how can I know that he's not just talking about those individual individual moments where we're all sometimes ashamed to be following Christ? Remember who he's talking to. Peter, in just a few chapters, watching his Savior be beat and tried unjustly, will be asked by a little girl, I know you, I know that you know him. You are with the carpenter. And he will say, I tell you the truth, I don't know the man. And that same Peter will someday stand and fight lovingly for the kingdom. That Peter will die for his own savior. He'll be hung upside down. He's not talking about these moments we have that we're embarrassed. He's talking about the trajectory of a life that says, I don't care who Jesus is, and I'm certainly not going to die for him. Spurgeon says it this way. The one that prepares for the final death is to live little deaths that lead up to it. The one that prepares for the final deaths is to live the little deaths that lead up to it. Look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, I'm headed to the cross and you'll end up going to the cross too. But what will come out of you going to your cross is that other people will find life. Your life will be about something better than treat yourself. And what is coming for you as a reward will heal your whole life story. Some of you seen Band of Brothers. It's a powerful visual story of Easy Company of the U.S. Army, Airborne Division, 101st. And at one point in the course of the story, we have this Lieutenant Spears. And Lieutenant Spears is watching this intensive battle. And sadly, if you remember in the battle, one of the low men on the totem pole He's getting so overwhelmed by the fierceness of the battle that he turns and he runs and he hides. And as you're watching this, it's a World War II epic. You're like, I can't believe that he ran away and hid. The lieutenant comes and finds him after the battle finally stops. And you're wondering, you're wondering, what is he going to do to this guy who just ran away in the face of fear? And he says to him this, we're all scared. We're all scared. You hid in that ditch because you think there's still hope. But Blythe, the only hope you have to accept the fact that you're already dead. The sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed, the sooner, you'll be, the sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. He says, you're already dead. Friends, for those of you who are following Christ, you're already dead. Jesus has already paid the price for your rescue and your salvation. 
And when he died, you died with him. And friends, when he rises, you too will rise. And so you get to live this life. The sooner you accept it, you're already dead. And so you get to die now for the sake of bringing others to life. Let's pray. Father, would your Holy Spirit do work even now? For hearts who've never known, would you make them alive? For hearts who wandered off a long time ago, would you welcome them back with your warmth? And for those of us who just needed our chins lifted and be reminded that we go and die for someone who has already died for us, would you comfort us all? We thank you that you went the way of the cross. That Peter couldn't talk you out of it. That Satan couldn't talk you out of it. That you chose to go the way of the cross because of your love for us. Would you cause us to act like we're that loved? To live like that we're that loved? And go love a dying world instead. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen because of your love for us would you cause us to act like we're that loved to live like that we're that loved and go love a dying world instead it's in jesus name that we pray amen